0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitromalidis, joined as ever by Dr. Sid Lowe. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? we we're trying to be as perky as possible aren't we even though we're pretty tired it's been, it's been <laughs> just, quite a tiring weekend just, yeah.
1: just thinking about the kind of the constant um the constant nine o'clock on a sunday kickoff thing which yeah. which does have a bit of an impact after a while <laughs> I, was th- I was sort of thinking about this and you know do not do not take this to its logical conclusion listeners because the Spanish League is still the best league around. But I was thinking, all those people who cover the English League, they never get a kickoff time at weekend later than five forty five. Never. No. Never. In a no. whole season.
0: Yeah. But of course they have to watch English football, so you know.
1: Yes, and live in places like um, insert in name of your English city <laughs> that you dislike here so that I don't get in trouble for it.
0: <sighs> yes, they have to live in England. We live in magnificent Spain, so we're winning Sydney. We're winning, even though if we're just tired, tired tired of winning anyway uh let's uh let's move on and talk about match day seven uh, before we do that i want to uh, bring your guys attention to our patreon you guys might have heard of it if you haven't it's patreon.com forward slash tsfp coming up this week for patrons we'll have and A, a Q&A pod as always out on tuesday answering your questions and a bonus pod on thursday talking the champions league plus uh, we ran out of time last week to record the latest episode of tsfp presents top fives so that will be coming up this week we absolutely promise so come and join us it's around four euros which is four pounds these days. <laughs> uh, it's, about, it's around four pounds, four dollars, four euros. They're all similar now. Uh, a month. So come and join us. Honestly, I don't think you are regret it. There's hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people are doing it. So uh, come and join us. Right. Uh, match day seven. The results then. Friday night. So Athletic absolutely destroy Almeria 4-0. They are flying Athletic. Three games in succession where they've scored three goals or more. It's the first time that that's happened for eight years. The last time that happened... Ernesto Valverde was the manager. He's back. They're doing brilliantly. They're third in the table. Saturday saw Cadiz and Villarreal draw 0-0. The kind of game that Villarreal were drawing last season when they ended up finishing seventh. They really should have won this, but they didn't. Getafe and Valladolid was an unexpected cracker. You were rewarded, Sydney, for your visit to the Coliseum Alfonso Pérez with a a really good game with some brilliant, brilliant goals. Uh, The winner scored by uh, Oscar Plano, uh, a thing of absolute beauty, But also go and check out the delicate chip from rugged Uruguayan right-back Damian Suarez for Getafe's second goal. Unexpectedly brilliant goal. Valladolid though winning 3-2. Then Atletico Madrid went to the Estadio Ramon sanchez Pijuan and outplayed Sevilla. Could be, probably is, Juno Lopetegui's last league game in charge. Although at the time of recording, he is still the manager. They've got five points Sevilla from a possible 21 catastrophic start to La Liga and didn't look like it was ever going to change at the weekend. Uh, Barcelona were made to work really really hard by Mallorca at the visit Mallorca stadium but they ended up winning a goal to nil. Why? Because they got Robert Lewandowski who scored an unbelievably good goal out of nothing. And Ter Stegen made some very, very good saves. Uh, it's perhaps overly simplistic to say that that's why they won. Certainly Xavi Hernandez didn't like to uh, say that it was because of they were very good in, in both areas. But really, I mean, you know, if we're going to break it down, <laughs> it pretty much was. Uh, on Sunday, there was another uh, feisty game between Espanol and Valencia. It finished 2-2. The Espanol goalkeeper, Álvaro Fernández, with one of the most ridiculous goalkeeping errors you will see all season uh, in the 90 plus minute to give Valencia a point. Uh, really, really bad goalkeeping uh, mistake. Afterwards, uh, Diego Martinez, the Espanyol goal, um, goalkeeper, the Espanol manager said, I'm immensely frustrated. And Gennaro Gattuso, the Valencia manager said, I'm very, very angry. So neither of them happy uh, with that point. Celta uh, beat Betis by a goal to nil. It was the battle of uh, Barry against El Panda. Well, Barry was on the bench because he had a... A dicky Tummy, uh, but Celta still won uh, thanks to a brilliant goal from Gabri Vega. The goal of uh, the game of the season took place at Montilivi, Girona against Real Sociedad. Again, an unexpected thriller. The last two games between these uh, sides ended 0-0, but it, this one ended 5-3 to La Real. Some unbelievably good goals in this game as well. Go and check out the screamer from Riquelme from Girona. It's going to be up there when it comes to goal fantastic, of the season.
1: Fantastic, fantastic goal, yeah.
0: And then Real Madrid and Osasuna drew 1-1 at the Estadio Santiago Bernabéu. It's the first time that Real Madrid have dropped points this season. And it means that for the first time in two years, Barcelona, end of match day, as top of the table. Monday Night Football is at the magnificent Estadio Municipal de Vallecas. It's Rio against Elche. I'm ridiculously excited because I'm going. And I don't know if I'm Fantastic. going
1: to get to go and watch football. I will see you there, Kitro.
0: Yes, mate. Um, very, very good.
1: So, uh, so <laughs> So much
0: happened this weekend. There are so many places uh, we could start. Uh, we'll start at the Bernabéu because you were there to see Real Madrid draw 1-1 with Osasuna. What happened? Because they, they really weren't particularly good, Real Madrid, in this game at all.
1: No. Um, can I start by taking it away from Real Madrid into Osasuna? Because I think part of the context of is, the, is the quality of the Osasuna performance. Now, I think on one level, at least, you know, you're know, you always going to see a performance like this or a game like this through the prism of Real Madrid. And I think that's entirely natural. In fact, I think if anyone would admit to that and agree with that, it's Arasati himself, the the, the Osasuna coach. He'd said before the game, with Real Madrid, you choose the way that you're going to suffer. Whatever happens, <laughs> you're going to suffer. You choose which way you approach that. Do you step out and run the risk of them of them going into the space behind? Do you play very deep and run the risk of not having much of the ball and them creating chances or at least pushing you all the way back? Do you try and play um, a a slow game? Do you try and play a quick game? And all the different ways of playing Madrid, because they have, to use that Spanish phrase, they've got so many registros, I don't know what you'd call that, I suppose different types of qualities, different types of approaches, Mm. you're quite likely to suffer no matter what you do. What he chose was, I I thought, something really quite interesting. In in, in midweek, Osasuna had trained with five at the back. In the end, they decided against that. They went for, what's broadly speaking, a 4-3-3. Although the two wide attacking midfielders did kind of fall into the, into the midfield a little bit to make almost a 4-5-1 at times. Mm-hmm. But they, I was really struck, in the first half at least... By their capacity to keep the ball, not necessarily for the sake of going anywhere, but to maintain possession, to try and take the speed out of the game from Real Madrid, they created a couple of really good chances. From from my point of view, at least, admittedly, I was at the other end of the ground and I've since watched them on telly and they're not quite as clear cut the chances as I thought they were in the stadium. But there's two very good chances for Abdi. I thought Osasuna yeah. went in at half-time and probably should have been leading. Yeah. Uh, I thought they handled Real Madrid really, really well. I thought it was a really intelligent performance. I think it was defensively very good. I think they did a great job of not allowing Vinicius to, to run. I thought they chose their moments really well throughout the game in terms of when to step up a little bit into the game and run that risk of being caught behind and when to say, OK, now's not the moment. And then obviously they got a little bit of luck uh, and they got a little bit of luck because Real Madrid had a goal disallowed for, for offside. They have a Mariano header right at the end, which I thought had hit the bar, but actually just hits the top of the net. Um, mm. You have Karim Benzema smashing the crossbar with a penalty. Uh, but I thought Osasuna's performance deserved the draw. And you're right, Madrid were very good. They were a little bit sluggish. They lacked intensity, according to both uh, Ancelotti and and Antonio Rudiger, who were the two players that, that we spoke to post-game. But I thought, you know, I, I, I like the idea of putting this in the context of Osasuna, who are fifth and who I think have been the outstanding team this season in terms of surprising us, them and Athletic Club. They're
0: fifth. Level on points with Atletico Madrid, they have been, as you said, absolutely sensational uh, for large swathes of the season so far, and it's been a joy to watch them. Really has, and, yeah. and they were they were absolutely fantastically well organised, and they took advantage of, of of this opportunity, and it was an opportunity because. It's not an excuse. And Carlo Ancelotti said there are no excuses. Yeah. But it yeah. is, I think it's, it's evident that after international breaks, teams like Real Madrid do struggle. And I was obviously doing my La Liga TV show last night and had Victor Sanchez del Amo on, the uh, former Real Madrid player and, and, and Real Betis manager. And he was saying before the game, watch out. It's an international break. I don't think Real Madrid are going to start this game well at all. It's difficult when the players come back, and he was a manager and he knows what it's like. It's difficult when players come back to get them focused mentally on this game and to start games well. And Real Madrid haven't necessarily been starting games well this season anyway. They've been strong in the second half and finding yeah. ways of, of, of winning that. But this was probably something that Arasate would have said to his team and said, they're, if they're not there for the taking, but we've got a chance. We've got a chance to do.
1: Yeah. I, I, and even
0: more so, by the way, without Thibaut Courtois.
1: Yes, without Thibaut Courtois and without Luka Modric. And I, and I think they do miss Modric when he's not there, which I know on one level is stating the bleeding obvious, but ma- perhaps less than, than it might appear because Madrid have so many good midfielders that you would think against, you know, again, Osasuna are a good side, but against Osasuna, not against, you know, this isn't, this isn't Atletico, this is not Barcelona, that they would have the creativity through that midfield or the quality through that midfield to still... You know, cause a lot of problems. You're still talking about midfield with Ceballos, um, Tony Cruz, and Shomeni to start with, with Camavinga coming on, with Fede Valverde coming on. You know, there's. If this, we're this.
0: talking about players missing, Osasuna were without their top goal scorer, exactly. as exactly. well. Exactly. You know?
1: and, and, you know, obviously, as a proportion of what that does to you, yeah. in theory, it's bigger. And, you know, I, I realize that. I don't want to go down this route too far, but I I have a little bit of a lack of patience with people whinging about the FIFA virus. Because essentially there's a bit of me that thinks, well, yeah, of course it's hit you hard because you've got loads of good players. It doesn't hit the teams who haven't got loads of good players because their players don't go on international duty. And there's a bit of me that thinks, you know what? Good. If once in a while we can debilitate the bigger teams, it's probably not a bad thing. But I do think it's worth looking at it from an analytical point of view. And, and, and you talking about what, what Victor was saying, I, 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 think, I think there's definitely something in that. And I, I heard a really interesting analysis of this last night from Santi Canizares, whose son, by the way, was on the bench for Real Madrid yesterday um, as, the, as the backup goalkeeper. Canizares, who of course played for Valencia and played for Real Madrid. He was saying that in a way we, we, we make a mistake when we look at the impact of international break on players kind of we make a mistake of looking at it from a physical point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think this tallies with what you're saying about Victor Sanchez Del uh, Delamo saying this. That it's more about the kind of the mindset. And 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 the way that Santi Canitharis explained it, I thought was very interesting. He said he said, look, you need to look at this from a purely human point of view. He said, this is like anything. He said these are people who go away for Anywhere between sort of seven and twelve days, normally about ten days. Right? He says they go away for ten days. They come back. They haven't been at home for ten days. It might mean that tomorrow they, they there's there's that sort of sense of catching up on the things they've missed. You're taking your kids to school, which you haven't done. You're sort of re effectively kind of asentando. say what do you call that in English? I suppose readjusting, resetting, I guess. Yeah. yeah, or resetting or readjusting yourself yeah. to 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 life. And he said, that, and there's this just that little bit that means. Your degree of focus and your routine building towards that weekend's Mm. game, which Mm. might not always be a very conscious thing, is actually impacted upon by this. Mm. And he he said, you have to just look at it from a human point of view. What are you like when you've been away for five or six days or maybe more and you come home? Those first couple of days, it's a bit like, oh, I'm I'm back again. Let's see what this is like. And then Mm. you're thrown straight into a game and you're not always quite ready for it.
0: Mm. No, it's true. It's true. And too often we, we don't look at that side of of footballers. it just doesn't enter our, our consciousness. But I think it is something that uh, we should dwell on and it might help to explain uh, why we see things like this. Quick word about Karim Benzema, who obviously missed a penalty pretty badly as well he just didn't didn't necessarily hit it particularly well crashed off the crossbar and it's the third consecutive penalty he's missed against Sergio Herrera first time ever by the way that's happened in La Liga that a player has missed three consecutive penalties against the same goalkeeper he's coming back from a month of injured didn't look at his best
1: no he didn't uh very briefly on the goalkeeper thing by the way um Darko Brasinac yesterday said that that Sergio Herrera had told him that if there's a penalty, he says, I think Benzema will go down the middle. Mm -hmm. He said, because what happened last time when he saved the two penalties last year was that he, post-game Sergio Herrera, made the point that you can never be sure, but that he was aware that Benzema had, if you like, a safe side. You know, that Benzema was one of those penalty takers that would normally wait to see where a goalie goes, but has a safe side, and that he knew that, and that he went that way both times. And that he essentially thought, well... Benzema would likely change anyway, but even more likely because, of course, post-game last time he'd said this. He was like, wait, if there's a safe side, what do you do if you think this guy thinks I've got a side? Go straight down the middle. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. that's no guarantee that you're going to save it. And it's no guarantee that he's going to miss either. But Benzema went hard and pretty straight. And you'll notice, it. well, obviously you'll notice it because it's right there staring you in the face. Ereda doesn't die; He didn't
0: move, yeah. He
1: stands wow. upright. And, and, and I actually thought, because I was at the other end of the ground... My first view was bloody hell! He just made the most amazing penalty save I've ever seen because mm. he threw his hand to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I
0: thought, thought that initially. I thought, I thought, that initially thought he'd saved
1: theory. a penalty without diving. Mm. It was just uh, just incredible. Um, anyway, a more broad thing, as you say about Benzema, I think Benzema's performances this season haven't been great. That said, he was still scoring goals. I think even before this injury, his performances his performances hadn't mm. been as great. I think obviously it's very early. I think it's possible that you know the the, the whole mindset of there's a World Cup coming I think for some players it means they're going to play really well between now and the World Cup and maybe less well afterwards I think for other players there's a sense of trying to protect themselves between now and the World Cup I think most cases that would be subconscious rather than conscious although we did hear Papu Gometh a week ago didn't we saying we're all going to ask if we can't play that last (laughs) game which was I thought an extraordinary thing to admit not necessarily an extraordinary thing to think but to admit it I thought was really quite something. And and yeah, I think Benzema doesn't look quite right at the moment. I think there's also a I think there's a structural thing with Real Madrid as well, which is the if you like the the kind of the the the, the tilting of the pitch to the left. Because you've got Benzema who naturally drifts left and you've mm-hmm. got Vinicius who's playing so brilliantly that even when you've got a player like Rodrigo and of course Fede when he plays there, although I still think Fede's a player that's not really a right-sided attacker, but, you know, he kind of does a bit of everything. Mm -hmm. I think there is a tendency to go left. And listening to Arasate last night, he had effectively swapped the wings of Moy and Abde because of an awareness of trying to double up on Vinicius because, again, of an awareness that Madrid would likely, you know, drift left all the time and go left all the time. And I think at times there is a risk with Madrid of being... Not predictable to the point of being stoppable because these are still brilliant players and you've still got a really good player on the right for when the ball does go that way. But maybe just a little bit too much inclination to go to that side.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, We'll talk more about uh, Real Madrid in the forthcoming weeks. I'm sure we often do. They often give us lots to uh, discuss. But we're going to move on and talk about Barcelona and that 1-0 win against Mallorca. It was not brilliant from Barcelona. Again, really sort of... <clears throat> In Spanish, they, they often use uh, the word which can be translated as sort of stodgy, espeso, uh, yeah, not a brilliant sort of performance. going
1: isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Obviously, there was no Ronald Araujo, no Jules Koundé, no Ecte Berin, So three of their first choice back for missing. We saw Gerard Piquet play, who did pretty well, did what he had to do. And even though they weren't brilliant, They've kept another clean sheet. Ter Stegen's got a new record for minutes, consecutive minutes without conceding. It's just one goal conceded all season for Barcelona, which is which is pretty extraordinary. We were talking about them being strong in both areas and we did see that again on Saturday because Ter Stegen made one absolutely outstanding save from yes. Chaume Costa from five yards out when it looked like it had to be a goal and it wasn't. And Robert Lewandowski scores this goal out of... Absolutely nothing. His sixth consecutive game scoring didn't score against Rio on Match Day One, but since then he scored in every La Liga game. Six consecutive games, nine goals, and what a signing he's proved to be. But I, I guess there will be things that will have concerned Xavi uh, in this uh, in this match. Speaking of no Luca Modric for Real Madrid. There was no Pedri for Barcelona. It was yeah. decided to be rested, given the magnitude of the month that is facing uh, Barcelona. And you can tell when Pedri isn't in this Barca team. You can tell.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he, he looked a little tired, hadn't he, with Spain um, yep. in the first game. And so I, th- I think resting him was was natural. I think the, the the nature of this game, to take us back to what you were saying at the very start, the idea of a, a, a really good striker and a really good goalkeeper, and, and being strong in the two areas. And, and Xavi doesn't necessarily like that, not least because, as we know, he's kind of ideologically committed almost to a particular type of football, which is focused and identified really around the midfield more than anything else, or at least around the collective functioning of the team. But I do think it's significant. And, and one of the reasons why I think this is significant in terms of judging Robert Lewandowski is precisely that. this isn't a, um, This isn't a, a, a good player getting goals in a good team this is a good player getting goal out of nothing in a bad team or in a bad performance anyway. In a and bad I think, performance, yes. And I think that makes it that, makes it that bit more significant mm-hmm. than those previous goals. Now, those other goals were, were maybe every bit as good and the performance from him individually was better. But this, I felt, was really, really significant because of that. And because, as you've said, it's the first time they've been top of the table since June 2020 when Kike Setien was manager. It's the first time they've moved to the top of the table since, since Ernesto Valverde was, was coach. So that tells you something, you know, (laughs) this has been, this is the fourth coach since then, you know, Um, and, and, and I think, so I think that was significant. I think, I think, I think his contribution, obviously we've talked about this a lot has been, I, I mean, I've been writing about him today, partly because of this idea that, he is maybe the thing that's different to 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 them this year, the kind of the difference maker, the, the thing that takes you that extra step, whether or not you play well. I think we have to be very careful with overplaying Barcelona and them moving to the top of the table. And I certainly am very conscious of this. There's, a, there's two or three really good reasons for that. One is the Clásicos coming soon. You lose that and all of a sudden all of this crumbles, I think. And not crumbles in a sense that you don't suddenly go on a terrible run of losing every game. But I think the kind of, if you like, the psychological impact of it and the emotional impact of it. Mm. Um, You've got injuries and a fixture list, which means that I think October is a really, really difficult month for Barcelona. And I think it's the kind of month, I said this in a podcast the other day, where it's perfectly plausible that their domestic season maybe doesn't come to an end, but gets really badly damaged. Because you said come it. to
0: an end, I think, yeah, uh, the yeah, other week. Yeah, you yeah were, the risk of, uh, the you risk were of overstating. overstating it. Yeah. You were very, very strong with that. Hold yeah. on, let me just tell the listeners what they've got coming up in this yeah. month of, in, in October. These are their next games. Inter Milan, Celta Vigo, Inter Milan at home, Real Madrid away, Villarreal at home, Athletic Club at home, Bayern Munich at home, Valencia away. That's the month of October yeah. for Barcelona. It's an unbelievably tricky month.
1: And in the meantime, Real Madrid, and I've got got the list here because I was very conscious of this. Real Madrid, I would argue, don't really get the tough run until the new year. So it's after the World Cup, right? So in 2023, Real Madrid get Villarreal, Valencia, Athletic and Real Sociedad in a row. But until then, I don't think Real Madrid have it difficult in October. Real Madrid, for example, um, I think I'm right in saying stay in Madrid this month in all but four of their... uh, I think they play nine games. I think they stay in Madrid for six of them. Yeah. So, so you know, there's, there's, there's that benefit there, which is why I feel like if Barcelona do drop points this month, I think Madrid may not do. And so Barcelona, obviously, because one of the games is a head to head. The other thing to point out here is that while Barcelona's record is really, really good at the moment, it's six wins and one draw, and that draw was the opening day of the season. So they've played and won every game since then. And Lewandowski scored in every game since then, but they've beaten Real Sociedad, right? But the other teams that they've played this season are Rio, Mallorca, Elche, Cadiz Valladolid and Sevilla. Now, in theory, Sevilla are a really tough team, mm. right? But all of those are in the bottom half. Mm. So there's a little bit of things. Let's just be careful. And I say this having admitted that today I've written about and been thinking about Levin and Doskin thinking, well, wow, what a player he is and how well he's played. But that, I suppose, from Barcelona's point of view, would be the concern. And they've been scoring a lot of goals in recent weeks. 4-3, 4-4-3-4, f- uh, four, 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 I think, the last four games. And now they only get one. Against, mm. admittedly, a defensively very tough team, a very difficult team, who Madrid put four past, it's true, but correct me if I'm wrong, got two of those four in the last three minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, so I, I, think, I think there are reasons for Barcelona to be optimistic. You've got a great goalkeeper, a great forward, you're still winning, you're top of the table first time in two and a half years, first time in 91 jornadas. Right, that's, I worked it out, by the way, eight teams have been top since Barcelona last were. Wow. Eight different teams. Valencia, what? Granada, Betis, Madrid, Getafe, Real Sociedad, Atletico. is that 7? four, five, six, seven. sorry. Wow. All being top.
0: Good work, Sydney. Uh, <laughs> I literally went through the picture no, I of know. the league you have table yeah, from yeah, every Monday
1: to. since they were last <laughs> top.
0: I oh, know. Well, you see, that's the kind of effort that Sydney puts in to bring you these fantastic stats. Um Listen, it's the classical on the 16th of October. We're excited for it. It's the biggest game in world football and we're going to keep building up to it. But we're going to move on. Shout out to Mallorca, by the way. They played well. And Javier Aguirre has mm. them doing stuff. They were playing out from the back against Barca yeah. on Saturday night. They actually looked like they could, you know, play pretty well. So they, Ch- Xavi Hernandez said, this will be a team that will be all right. That won't be having too many problems with the relegation. We'll see. Uh, but they uh, but they did well against Barca, despite not getting any points. Uh, let's move on and talk about Sevilla and the situation there with with Julian Lopetegui, who at the moment we're recording on Monday afternoon. He's still the manager of Sevilla. He's still taking charge of the training session today. They've got to play Borussia Dortmund. In the Champions League tomorrow, presumably he's still going to be in charge for that game. But afterwards, there could be some movements. People are saying Jorge Sampaoli might come back as manager of Sevilla.
1: I find find that quite surprising, to be honest. Um, Not necessarily because he's a bad manager. And I thought certainly for the first six months of his first season, they were absolutely brilliant to watch. Mm. A really, really good team. Um, But there was sort of a bit of a sense of antipathy towards him internally because he's a, a slightly difficult character at times. There was a, a slight sense that it didn't always fit in place, that people weren't always that happy with him. That said, I suppose you're at a stage of season when you ne- haven't necessarily got all the, you know, you haven't necessarily got freedom of, of choices. I, you know what? If I was severe, I'd be I'd be phoning up Thomas Tuchel. Yeah? I mean, I don't know if he'd want to go, but I'd be phoning up Thomas Tuchel.
0: There might be. They might be phoning Well, yes, yeah. I
1: suppose so, yeah. But it's just he's not one of those names that's been mentioned. And I just kind of thought, well, you know, there's an obvious choice. There, there was a suggestion of Bordelass, and I suppose if you go with Bordelas, then you have to know exactly no. what you're doing. You have to have to accept that that's what yeah. you're going to get. They have tried to speak to Marcelino, although that was previously. Yeah. So I think that was more a kind of a sounding him out. If this guy goes, would you be in position? Mm. Um, and, and I think they got a no for an answer to that. Um I think Lopetegui is, you know, once this kind of thing starts happening, it's very difficult for manager to, to hang on. I think there's got to be a recognition, even if there is some blame and quite a lot of blame put on Lopetegui, a recognition of their, if you like, their structural failings this time around. They look like, as we've said before, a team that's had its two centre-backs taken off them. You know, there's other things wrong with them. Let's not pretend it's just that. But they have been debilitated um, in this in this uh, summer market, partly because they'd sort of slightly overstretched previously and they, they were aware of that and they decided to take that risk on board and and driven by, in Monchi's words, driven by ambition. They did things that they wouldn't necessarily normally do. And it does feel like Lopetegi is, is not likely to be there very much longer. I mean, partly the nature of this defeat, wasn't it? I mean, losing to Atletico is OK, but they only for about 10 minutes early in the second half ever really looked in it. And then, uh, in, during that 10 minutes, they then got caught by the most ridiculously simple goal you could ever wish to see.
0: I mean, they could have lost 4-0 easily. Yeah, they really could, easily. exactly. Um, yeah. Best performance yeah. of the season from Atletico Madrid, though, conversely, uh, in a uh, yes. an interesting uh, formation with uh, Cunha and Morata starting uh, together. Are we going to see more of that?
1: I think we might. Um, and it's curious, isn't it? Because you, you never quite, and maybe that's what's going to start happening now, you never quite get a clear sense of what Atletico's team hmm. is. I heard, I can't remember who it was, but it was a player. So it struck me as a very uh, former player, a very pointed thing to say. Player on the radio say what, say something along the lines of, what I liked about this team was everyone was in their right positions. And I just thought, what you're effectively saying <laughs> is the manager's been pissing around for a long time. And I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, because I think broadly speaking, I would agree with that. But I thought it was an incredibly blunt thing. You know what? It might even have been Kiko who said it on the radio. And Kiko's very good friends with Simeone.
0: Interesting. Uh, this game saw Coque yeah. become the Atletico Madrid player with the most appearances. He's played 554 times for Atletico Madrid and he's only 30. He's going to absolutely yeah. smash this record. I mean, no one's going to come anywhere near him. Uh, so congratulations to Coque. Uh, congratulations also to Marcos Llorente for scoring his first, his first goal in La Liga since... 1st of May 2021. What a goal it was as well. Absolutely brilliantly yeah, taken nice goal. goal. And uh, nice to see Yorente playing a bit closer to the penalty area. He'll be hoping and praying that now El Molina stays fit and available and okay so he can play right back. And Yorente. Please, please, please yeah. don't put
1: me a right yeah. back. Yorente
0: yeah. can play a, a bit further forward. Uh, we've got to uh, quickly mention Athletic Club and their uh, tremendous uh, goal scoring uh, run and how they're playing and just the general good vibes around this team at the moment. It's the same team as last season. It's exactly the same team. All right. They, they signed Ander Herrera, but you know, he's, he's only had a few minutes really. It's, it's exactly the same team basically, but with one difference. And that difference is Ernesto Valverde, who has come in and has made some structural changes uh, to the side, and uh, he's tweaked things most notably, perhaps, the position of Oyan who he's brought further back and instead of playing as a as a second striker. He's now playing in the sort of midfield two. And last season, we forget, but that midfield two in the four two three one, broadly speaking, that they play was was Danny Garcia and Unai Vencedor. Every single game, those two were playing. And that's changed. Unai Vencedora is nowhere near the starting eleven now. Danny Garcia, well, he's there if if Vizga isn't fit. But Oyan Sanset playing in that too has been a big structural change. Nico Williams coming into the side. Iñaki Williams is scoring as well. They both scored on Friday night, and it's great to see.
1: They both scored, and they both provided assists for each other as well. It was brilliant. Um, I think I think one of the things that 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 is worth pointing out, as you've ex- exactly said there, the the the. the the shift in the position of, of Sunset, the quality with which they play, the positional quality with which they play. And I think one of the things that we... And, you know, I, I include myself in this, by the way. And, and I include myself in this, despite being someone who's always been kind of quite defensive of Ernesto Valverde and, and, and certainly always praised him and, and thought he's a brilliant manager. We tend to look at him as someone who creates an environment in which players are comfortable mm. And we've t- even people like me, who, as I say, are broadly speaking on his side, have tended not to look at the the more technical mm-hmm. elements of the game and the more tactical side of it. And this is a positional shift this year that's been really interesting. This is a team that has a very clear sense of what it's trying to do. I also think, in fairness to Marcelino, who's another manager who I think is a very good manager, admittedly he plays, I think, straighter lines than Valverde. His teams tend to play really quite straight lines. But I do think that some of this was coming. Uh, you know, the, the the fact that Nico is, is we're not obviously not an entire year older, but, you know, a season further on, I think, I think means that you you have a slight shift in the way that you approach the game. And I think Nico was starting to play with Marcelino. And Marcelino, of course, have given him his debut, even if he wasn't playing every single game. Um, I think he likes sunset, even though, as you say, he was closer to the forwards. And I, and I really found it really interesting watching him playing a little bit deeper. And he's a really, really good footballer. Um, I think with Inaki, he tried... Uh, almost everything he could to get more goals from Iñaki Williams and, and you know, including the, you know, the help from the psychologist. And Iñaki speaks incredibly highly of of Marcelino. Um, and in fact, you notice that there was a couple of weeks ago, it might even have been that last game before the international break, Iñaki was asked uh, in the pitch side interview something along the lines of, you know, what's changed this year with with um, with with Vanessa Valverde and what you're doing and what's what's different. And he was really, really... Keen to make the point To say You know We were doing really good work With Marcelino And I think he was, mm. I think he was Really nervous mm. Of not being seen to say Look how much better we are <laughs> Partly because he likes Marcelino And genuinely does respect mm. him And thinks he's a good manager But there's definitely been uh, What do you call it in English well, What's the phrase Un vuelca de tuerca Turning over the screw is not really quite the right phrase, but you know what I mean. A a, A change. A a little bit of a twist, a a shift, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Definitely
0: a shift. Uh, Watch out for Athletic Club. They're third at the moment. They're scoring lots of goals. They don't have any European football to distract them. Although... Their start of the season has been relatively straightforward in terms of the sides that they have faced. And I think we'll learn yes. a, a bit more about them uh, in the next coming weeks when they have perhaps potentially more challenging uh, opponents. Um, before we go, a quick word on the Segunda. Alaves are top on 18 points. They beat Ponferradina 3-1. Las Palmas a second after a 3-3 draw at Mirandes. They're level on points with Cartagena, who won 3-1 at Oviedo. Shout out to Andorra, who beat Levante Amazing. 3-1 on Saturday and we need to talk about Burgos. They haven't conceded a single goal in 8 oh. games this season. Oh. It's extraordinary. It's a historic run from Burgos. They've only scored twice.
1: I was going to say they don't score too many. <laughs> they
0: scored two. They scored <laughs> twice. But, you know, you don't need to score that many goals. We keep a clean sheet every game. So there we go. Shout out to... Uh,
1: it's really amazing. Really shout is out amazing.
0: to Burgos. Uh, this week, uh, we've got uh, Champions League uh, football. Uh, I said Sevilla were playing on Tuesday. They're playing on Wednesday against Borussia Dortmund. Azar Real Madrid at home to Shakhtar. Before that, on Tuesday, we've got Club Bruges against Atletico Madrid. And Inter against Barca in a big game at the Giuseppe Meazza. Then on Thursday, another big game in Italy. Stadio Olimpico Roma against Betis. Perhaps less um, dramatic, Sheriff Tiraspol against uh, Real Sociedad (laughs) and Villarreal against Austria-Vienna. So that's what's coming up this weekend. Uh, We'll be back, as ever, to discuss it on Thursday, so make sure you uh, tune in for that. Become a patron and ask us a question. There's lots of stuff we didn't mention on today's podcast. If there's something you want us to talk about which we haven't done already, send us a question and we'll answer it on the pod, Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. City and I are off to Vallecas. We're very excited and we'll see you next week. Adios, amigos.
1: Cheerio.